Hello and welcome to Perusia World Spotlight with Matthew Herman Taig on the Perusia Podcast Network. Perusia World Spotlight is produced in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific and Voice of Charity Radio Australia. In the spotlight today is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, who joined me in the Perusia Study Groups group in Perusia World to discuss Ephesians chapter 5. To be part of the live online audience during Perusia World Spotlight recordings and to interact in the live member-only Q&A sessions that follow, join us in Perusia World by visiting perusiamedia.com and clicking on Perusia World for all the information on how to join. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, hello and welcome to Perusia World. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Matthew. It's uh, always a tremendous honor and privilege to be with you and to all the people in the, in the Bible study. So great to be with you. Uh, indeed. And uh, likewise, it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We, um, we spent uh, quite a bit of time together on your last visit, so we got to know each other a little bit. And then you've graciously given Perusia study groups some um, uh, uh, multiple interviews now. And so we can't thank you enough for that. You've become a true friend to the study groups. Oh, you're most welcome. So I, I enjoy it very much. I, you know, I uh, spent a lot of time studying theology and, and studying scripture from one of the best, Father Mitch Pacwa. Awesome. And uh, to be able to take what I've learned and to share it in a way that's meaningful to people is, uh, a true blessing and i'm grateful to god for the opportunity amen amen i know exactly how you feel and of course uh you know i'm even considering university studies myself and you are one of the main people who has been encouraging me in that and so we're both going to sit here and encourage all of our participants and all of our listeners to study scripture too aren't we deacon yes absolutely absolutely <laughs> And of course, one way of doing that is to join the online study group in Perusia World. And so um, we in the online group have been studying the book of Ephesians by St. Paul this term. And uh, you've agreed to come and talk to us a little bit about Ephesians 5. Uh, but before we jump into Ephesians 5, uh, I want to mention that one of the things we've discovered through this study, and it's a study by Ascension Press and our um, presenter is uh, Jeff Cavins. And what Jeff points out to is that the first part of Ephesians talks about orthodoxy. And the second part then moves on to orthopraxy. And I wonder if you would mind uh, defining these two terms for us, Deacon Harold. Yeah. So orthodoxy means right teaching, right? Mm. So, so if you say that someone is orthodox, that means they are teaching rightly, right? Mm. And orthopraxy is right practice. Right. So that which makes sense. Right. Teaching leads to right practice. Right. Because the teaching means nothing if we don't live it out mm. in, in our in our everyday uh, experience. And so that's what St. Paul is doing uh, in, in the book of Ephesians. Yeah. So by the time we get to Ephesians five, we're well and truly into this orthopraxy, this right living, aren't we? Uh, would yes. you like to, would you would you do us the honor of, um, of opening by uh, reading chapter five? Deacon Harold, or would you like me to read it? Uh, why, why don't you go ahead and read it? Since I want to spend a lot of time uh, exegeting it. So Yeah, that would be great. So uh, thank you very much. Okay, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is fitting among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor silly talk, nor levity, which are not fitting. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no immoral or impure man or one who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them, for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord." 
take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it is said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all of your heart always and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject to every, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's quite a well-known passage, uh, Ephesians 5, and of course, uh, the one, probably the one sentence that uh, people concentrate on more than any others is wives be subject to your husbands but Ephesians chapter 5 is about a lot more isn't it Deacon yes absolutely <laughs> and we're going to talk about that we know because sometimes you know when this reading comes up uh if there's a priest or deacon preaching they want to skip that well, let's do let's let's talk about the first reading instead you know they want, they, let's talk about the gospel you know they, they want to skip over this well we're not going to do that we're, we're going to dive right into this. But first, let's take a, a look at the first part uh, of, of Ephesians. So Ephesians 5 is broken into two parts. Verses 1 through 20 is um, basically Paul talking about the renunciation of pagan ideology. Mm -hmm. right? So in other words, not thinking uh, like the world, but, but living and thinking like a Christian, like a person who's following Jesus Christ. And then the second part of Ephesians 5 is verses 21 to 33 uh, about the Christian household, particularly about marriage and um, the, the nature of marriage and uniting that with Christ in his church. So we're going to talk about both of those. So let's dive in. Or we'll start with verse 1. So Paul says, be imitators of God. So what Paul is doing right off the bat, here is challenging the faithful to love as God loves and to forgive as God has forgiven us, All right? So basically, what does that mean? So when he says to be, uh, to love as God loves, what he's talking about there is covenant relationship, okay? To love as God loves means to be in covenant relationship. And, and uh, John says this beautifully in his letter, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. Mm -hmm. And he who lives in love lives in God. And God lives in him. Okay. So, yeah. so that 
to me, that, um, that one verse beautifully summarizes the kind of relationship that God is seeking for us, the kind of relationship Jesus Christ, quite frankly, gave his life and died for, covenant intimacy. And this is an important concept because Paul is going to be comparing covenant relationship with the contractual relationship of the world. So, and, you, and we'll, we'll see this very, very clearly. So when, when we talk about covenant relationship, here's what we're talking about. It's, it's not relationships of the culture which are contractual relationships. So we live in a culture in a world today that says relationships are just merely contracts between people, right? So for example, when I went to the store and I got my iPhone, right? I entered into a contract and the contract says for a certain amount of money or contractual language called consideration, for a certain amount of consideration, um, they will give me this, this phone and the phone is supposed to work a certain way. Now, if I get the phone and the phone doesn't work the way the contract says the phone is supposed to work, what, what would you do? You go back to the store, you give your money back, uh, they give you your money back, you give the phone back and that breaks the contract. Mm -hmm. So that's what so many people think relationships are like today. And that's how we get phrases like friends with benefits. Hit it and quit it. And, and garbage language like that, that describe relationships where, they're treating, where we treat each other as objects for pleasure and gratification, where we use each other for my benefit and my own good and not looking out what's best for the other person. That is in contrast to, uh, uh, to uh, covenant relationship. When God wants a relationship with us, he doesn't enter into a contract, it just enters into a covenant. Mm. A contract, as we saw, is merely an exchange of goods, but a, a covenant is an exchange of persons. A, a contract says, this is yours and this is mine. A covenant says, I am yours and you are mine. It's making a complete and total gift of yourself in love to someone. And that someone makes a complete and total gift of themselves back to you in love that is free and faithful and total and fruitful. It's a love that gives everything, right? It's a love that holds nothing back. Why? Because Jesus held nothing back of his love for us on the cross. He gave everything, gave everything. And that's exactly what God expects from us. And that's the kind of relationship that St. Paul is saying that we, as followers of Christ, as imitators of Christ, we have to reflect that covenant relationship, not only in our relationship with God, but our relationship with others, right? Because remember, what are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So, so that is an important concept that Paul is um, giving us right from the start, right from the beginning. So um, moving from there, we see that, um, that this is a reciprocal relationship then, right? A covenant relationship is reciprocal. So it's not just one way. It's not just that God loves us and that's it. You know, it, it's both. God gives his love to us and, and we give our love back to him. But it's a love that's free, and faithful and total and fruitful, right? Th those are the tenets of covenant relationship. It is free, it is faithful, it is total and it's fruitful, all right? So, um, and, and then the second part is we have to forgive as God has forgiven us. That's an easy one uh, because Jesus gave us the Our Father, right? Where he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So God will only forgive us to the extent that we are willing to forgive others. And now, as Jesus says, remember, from the heart. Jesus says we must forgive our brothers and sisters from our heart. So it's not just a forensic forgiveness. I forgive you. We say the words, right? Mm -hmm. We have to mean it. Um, and, that, <laughs> and that's very difficult because sometimes we as human beings, we want to hold on to the anger. We want to hold on to the hatred because, quite frankly, it feels good to, to hate, and especially 
if we're justified. I mean, if someone did something to us that was egregious, um, that, that hurt us deeply, you know, uh, and we're angry and rightly so, there's a righteous anger there. But Jesus says that we also must forgive. That doesn't mean we forget what happened. That doesn't even mean we, we become best friends with the person that hurt us, but we have to forgive them from the heart so that we can receive that same mercy, that same love, that same forgiveness from Almighty God. So that is a, a, a very important concept there. Um, so then in verse two, he says, Christ gave himself up. Why? Because see, Jesus is the high priest who willingly offered his life as a sacrifice for us. And we see allusions of this uh, very clearly in the Old Testament. And for example, um, Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 to 21, and Exodus chapter 29, verse 18. And, and in those two um, set parts of scripture, Genesis and Exodus, we, we see that the offering, um, when it's placed on the, when it's immolated, when it's placed on the fire and, the, and, the, and it's burning and the smoke of, of the offering is rising to God. Um, you know, it's, it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And to use that language, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, which for us uh, makes sense. Think about it. Think about um, when you're um, grilling, uh, outside grilling, you're grilling a steak, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, the, and the smell from that steak is rising, you know, mm -hmm. and, that, and that, that smell wafts through the house, you know, and, and uh, people are like, oh, man, and you get hungry just by smelling it. Right. Your, 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 your uh, taste buds start to water and, you know, get hungry just from that smell. And it's a very pleasing. Well, unless, I guess unless you're a vegetarian, you know, yes. it's, a, it's a very pleasing odor. It's a very pleasing fragrance, mm -hmm. uh, which is acceptable to God. Right. So what St. Paul is saying here that Jesus offered himself on the cross as a pleasing sacrifice of love to the father. Right? And this is something that's alluded to in um, Hebrews chapter seven. Um, verses, I think verses 26 and 27, and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, uh, talks about this. So how, again, Jesus says, I'm not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So the fulfillment of the sacrifice in the Old Testament is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us in the New Testament. And so the beautiful part about all this, about the, uh, the orthopra uh, orthopraxy, the right um, practice, the right living of this concept is this. By our baptism, we all share in the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, there, remember, uh, St. Paul is very clear, there's only one priesthood that we all share in, right? So, so there, but, but the, the, the priesthood is divided. Um, although there's one priesthood, we share in that priesthood differently. There's the priesthood of all believers, which is everyone who is baptized in Christ. And then we have the ministerial priesthood, those men who are called forth from the people of God um, to, and who are ordained by God to be fathers of our families, the fathers of our, of our Catholic families. And um, they give and provide to us the sacraments through which we receive God's life, most especially in the sacrament of the Eucharist, where we literally see the body, blood, soul, divinity of, of the living God, and also in the sacrament of reconciliation, where we walk into that confessional dead in our sin, and we walk out alive in Christ, all right? So, but, uh, so but, but by our baptism, though, all of us share in the priestly ministry of Christ. How do we do that if we're not ministerial priests? The acceptable sacrifice that we offer to the Father is what? the gift of our lives, our time, our talent, our treasure in the liturgy of everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, uh, in fact, one of my, uh, I, I have an old talk called The Pursuit of Happiness, and I talk about Romans chapter 12, starting at verse one, where Paul kind of talks about this, where, where we offer our lives to God, and that is a pleasing sacrifice and, and odor that's uh, that's offered to God, the, the, the gift of our life. Beautiful. Um, so now Paul says in, in, in verses three and four, he talks about immorality um, because now he's talking about things that can hinder that life in God, having a full life in God as a Christian. 
One of those things he says immorality. The word there in Greek is porneia, okay? Porneia means, well, okay, um, do a little word explanation here. So porneia, um, for example, when it's used in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, where Jesus is talking about divorce, and he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for unchastity, okay, mm -hmm. unchastity, and the word there in Greek is porneia, it's the same word that's used here in Ephesians 5. Now, when Matthew uses that, in fact, in Mark chapter 10, the other verse where Jesus talks about divorce uh, and remarriage, um, uh, where he says, you know, if you marry another, uh, if you're, uh, if you get, if you're married and you get divorced and you marry another person, you commit adultery. And mm -hmm. if you marry a, div a divorced woman, it's the same thing, you commit adultery. Very, very clear, unambiguous teaching of Jesus. Um, now, Mark does not give the exception here, except for porneia. So the, the problem, why that word is important, because some people misinterpret that word to think it means adultery. No. It doesn't mean that. Because remember, remember, when the adulterous woman came, they brought her to Jesus. And remember, they, they were going to stone her to death. Jesus forgave her. Right? Jesus forgave her. So, so it, it can't mean adultery. All right? In fact, it, it says, um, it says uh, if you marry another, you commit adultery. That's a different word than porneia. That, that is a completely different word. What porneia means, literally how Matthew is using it, Unchastity um, means having a relationship that's too close in the collateral line. So in other words, um, it has to do with consanguinity, um, the way the church uses that term in canon law. And what that means is basically you're having a relationship with someone that's too close in your family, like your mother or your first cousin or your sister or something like that. So um, so that's why the exception is given there in Matthew, because that is in, goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus, where it talks about you cannot marry someone that's too close to your family. So that's why Jesus, why Matthew includes Jesus' words here, except for porneia. Mm -hmm. uh, so because why? Because that marriage was never legal in the first place. It was, it was never a right marriage in the first place. That's why there's an exception for it. So if you try to marry someone, it, it's actually not really a marriage because they're too close in your family. Now, when Paul uses that word, he does mean that, okay? But what Paul does is also expand the, because you can tell in the context of what Paul is saying, he's expanding that word, not just to mean uh, incest, but also fornication and sexual misconduct, okay? So, so Paul broadens the use of porneia here. In Matthew, it's very strict because Matthew's referring back to a very specific thing in Leviticus. Paul, however, is expanding it because he's talking about the full life of the Christian, the mm. full life of the Christian. Now, this is actually pretty serious. I mean, Paul is quite strong here, okay, in these verses. He's very strong, uh, basically saying that a Christian is not to practice, to think about, to speak about, or to even make jokes about perversion, about sexual misconduct and things like that. Um, and instead, he says, let there be thanksgiving, okay? Mm. And the word there is eucharistia, eucharistia in Greek. Um, there's another place where it's eucharistain, but here it's, it's eucharistia. Um, so, and this is very important. So instead of, because why is this important? Remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, if Paul's very clear, if you're in a state of mortal sin, you cannot receive communion, okay? That's why he's so strong here. Your life, uh, in order to receive Jesus and unite yourself with him in the deepest form of intimacy we can have on earth, which is receiving him in the Eucharist, you have to be in right relationship with the Lord. And... Um, and if you're living a life of debauchery and perversion, you, you cannot receive the Eucharist. In fact, remember, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 27, he goes, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord, the, 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 the Eucharist, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. 
let a man examine himself, examination of conscience. Mm -hmm. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That's oh, really strong language. Very. Uh, yeah. yeah. From Paul there about uh, the how we have to be in what we call today a state of grace mm. in order to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. So what Paul is doing here in Ephesians, though, he's talking about how we do this practically. Again, we can't live like the pagans. We mm. can't have that pagan kind of mentality. And so he goes on and, and um, he kind of explains this in verses 5 through 13. And in, in those verses, 5 through 13, he talks about an idolater. So um, an idolater is when we love or desire uh, the things of the world more than God, right? And boy, are we living in that world right now. Um, you know, Paul says in 1 Timothy, remember, he says, money is not the root of all evil. Remember, that's not what Paul says. Money's not the root of all evil. What does Paul say? The, the love of money. The love yes. of money yeah. is the root of all evil. See, when mm. money becomes your God, when it becomes your idol, then it becomes your problem. And Paul is warning here, we cannot idolize the things of this world. But think about it. People idolize money. People idolize sex. People idolize their job and their work. They, they make idols of the things of the world. And they put those things first and either God's second or God's not in the picture at all. Mm -hmm. Because these other things have replaced a deep, intimate, personal relationship with, with the living God. And mm -hmm. so. Paul, again, Paul's very strong here. He, he says, you know, if we want to have an inheritance. So the sins of the flesh are so serious that the offenders risk forfeiting heaven. <laughs> you know, you got to let that sink out because the reason why this is important. So many people say, well, all I need to do is be good. I don't need a church. I don't need a Eucharist. I don't need sacraments. I don't need confession. I just have to just, you know, uh, just be a good person. What the heck does that even mean? You know, because you're defining what, it, what for yourself, what it means to be good. Hmm. So uh, what are we talking about here? So um, the, the sins of the flesh. So we're talking about today would be child traffickers, right? Human traffickers, pedophiles, aphibophiles, um, homosexual behavior, not the person, the behavior, uh, consumers of pornography. Uh, adulterers, right? And the list goes on. So Paul is saying here, after he lists these things, he said, we, there must be repentance or when the wrath of God comes at the last judgment, they will be lost forever. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, very clear language, which, which actually is very clear teaching in the church. Um, the catechism, in fact, is very strong uh, on this. Um, so Paul is saying, that uh, this warning to believers in uh, Christ means that salvation, um, uh, which was, uh, remember, Paul's talking to people of faith. He's talking to Christians mm -hmm. who've already accepted Christ. Uh, but he gives this warning to believers in Christ, um, the, who he's speaking to now in Ephesians. What does that mean? That means if these people have already accepted Jesus, and his methods of salvation, even though they may have attained it, it could be lost. It still could be lost, right? So and, we talk about, well, is, you can't lose is, your salvation. That's not what Paul says. Yeah, and, and this is important even for us as Catholics, isn't it? For faithful Catholics, that, that this is a letter to the faithful. And even a faithful Catholic who is going to Mass every day and saying their prayers is going to be tempted by these things that Paul is listing, right? Yes, exactly right. I mean, we all, I mean, we're all sinners in need of God's mercy. And that's why Jesus gave us a sacrament of reconciliation. And we have to be humble enough to come before him when we sin gravely, right? So remember mortal sin, there's three um, uh, uh, parts of mortal sin and all three parts have to be together in order for sin to be mortal or deadly, as it says in 1 John chapter five. So uh, the sin has to be grave matter, right? So so the benchmark is violation of one of the Ten Commandments uh, is the benchmark. Not, not only those, but that's kind of what we use as a, as a starting place. 
Um, so it has to be grave matter. The sin has to be done with full knowledge and deliberate consent of the will. I know what I'm doing is wrong and I freely choose to do it anyway. Once you've done that, you've lost the state of sanctifying grace, which is the grace you need to get to heaven. And you are now in a state of mortal sin. If you die in a state of unrepented mortal sin, then there's hell. And the catechism is very, very clear about this. In fact, in um, paragraph 1861, it says, mortal sin is a radical possibility of human freedom, as is love itself. So you can choose to love, or you can choose that which is not love, which is not hate, but turning away from God's love. You're choosing yourself. And, and, and what Paul here, these carnal desires over God, over love of God. And uh, the catechism says it results in the loss of charity and the privation of sanctifying grace, as I just mentioned, and the state of grace. If it is not redeemed by repentance and God's forgiveness, it causes exclusion from Christ's kingdom and the eternal death of hell. For our freedom has the power to make choices forever with no turning back. That is from the catechism that's the official teaching of the church on this issue and that's why paul is so strong he wants to make sure they clearly understand the message and it's uh, it's unambiguous and quite frankly that's something i wish was happening more in the church today i mean we're living in a very confused culture uh a very depraved society and we're not always getting very clear and unambiguous teaching <laughs> from, mm -hmm. from our church leaders. So that's why we have to rely on the scriptures and, and the official teachings of the church, even when the, um, the people in the church, including its leaders, are not always clear uh, about what church teaching should be. Um, so that, that's why Bible studies like this are very, very important. Now, um, in verse 14, it says, Awake, O sleeper. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, oh, wait a minute, wasn't that line from Dune? Right, the movie Dune, <laughs> Awake, O sleeper. That, yes. Indeed, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's in there. It's in the movie. Um, it's a classic. Yeah. Well, Especially well, to us sci-fi fans. Right. And Dune has a lot of illusions, you know, um, uh, the main character kind of being a savior, you mm. know, being sent from God and that kind of thing. So there's a, got a lot of religious overtones to, to the movie. But when Paul says awake, go sleeper, it's a call to break away from the sinful world and to live as children of the light because we are illumined by the teaching of the church. Um, uh, so again, very, very important concept here that uh, we are children of the light, not children of darkness. Right? And so what illumines us today is the teaching of the church, the church that Jesus Christ left for us. So in verse 16, it says making the most of every, it means he's making the most of every opportunity to do good to seek opportunities to, to live out that, the basic tenet of the natural moral law, the, 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 more, the natural moral law is the law that God has planted in every single person's heart. And the main tenet of that moral law is to do good and avoid evil. So Paul is saying, make the most of every opportunity in our lives to do good. Because we don't know when our, we don't know when our life on this earth is gonna end. You don't know. So we have to use the time we have on earth wisely. We have to use the time that we have, however, how much time that may be, to honor God by the way we live and the way we act. I guess St. Paul is very clear on this. And toward the end, he talks about not getting drunk. Uh, obviously, this must have been a problem with the Ephesians. <laughs> it must have been a little too much drinking. Now, he's not saying don't drink, okay, because obviously... Jesus drank wine, all the apostles drank wine. I mean, if you go to the Holy Land today, when we're able to go back again, um, you're going to be served wine at almost every meal, except breakfast, because wine is just part of the, 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 the culture. And it's part of the ethos of the place. So, what, what there's, so Paul literally means don't get drunk, but he's also speaking deeply. We have to live sober lives and, res and respectable lives. And that moderation and temperance both in the consumption of alcohol, but especially in the way we think about how we live our lives um, is the key, moderation and temperance. And, and it's I, wonderful, no, I, I'd, I'd love to point out here too, that uh, 
moderation and temperance is perhaps a different level for different individuals. For instance, let's talk about alcohol, okay? Uh, some people can handle more drink without getting drunk than others. Whereas someone like me who has the disease of alcoholism, for me, temperance is zero alcohol because I have the disease of alcoholism. 14 years sober by the grace of God. So if everyone's going to have a different level of, um, of uh, before they, they slip into a sin when it comes to temperance. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. That's, yeah. And that's a great example. That's a great example of the lived experience. Um, yeah, and Paul here, when he talks about alcohol, is probably referring to Proverbs 23. There's a mm. proverb there that says, uh, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Our eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things, right? Oh boy, did, did alcohol bite me like a serpent? Oh boy, brought me to the absolute depths of despair. <laughs> Thank God that he was able to reach into that despair and pull me out of the very suburbs of hell. Yeah, amen. Thank yeah. you, Jesus. Hmm. You know, and, and, that's, and that's the thing here. Um, I, I think Paul may have had this proverb in mind. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, it, it, you know it's things like an adder. We see strange things. We utter perverse things. Yeah. So, and again, this, and he, he doesn't mention alcohol as much as he does here in Ephesians. I think, again, for the Ephesians, it must have been an issue. Mm. Uh, that's why he's hammering it home. But, he's, but he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he talks about praying and singing psalms. And, oh, that, what, well, first of all, that's the Mass for us today. Mm -hmm. But it's also the Liturgy of the Hours. Amen. Right? Um, or if you, if you don't pray the Liturgy of the Hours every day with the breviary, the Magnificat. Or, or some other publication like that, or I breathe you on your phone, you know, um, listening to hymns and, and of praise and worship, right? Um, Lectio Divina, the prayerful reading of scripture, you know, I mean, so that's what Paul is talking about. Instead of getting drunk and doing all these things that separate yourself from God and separate your mind and heart from God, engage in things that will draw you closer to him, right? Yeah. It will draw you closer to him. And that's how Paul kind of kind of ends that first part uh, of Ephesians uh, five. Mm. Right. So, you have any comments or anything, Matthew, before we move into part two? Uh, I think you've, um, you've you've covered so much, and there's such depth here. I think I'm going to have to go back and and re-listen to this uh, over and over again. Um, but uh, when it came to to idolatry, I mean, we we talked about a few things that uh, could be considered idolatrous and, and covetous. And uh, I, I admitted that uh, recently my wife and I had to give up watching TV at night on school nights because, you know, those clever people at those streaming services, they tend to end every episode on a cliffhanger. And then we're sitting there going, what happens next? We'll watch just a little bit. And before you know it, we've spent way too much, many hours watching TV instead of sleeping. And then we're in sleep debt for the next day for our families and our work colleagues. And so there's, there's a lot of things that we could, in a sense, be con uh, considered to be drunk with, isn't there? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, uh, again, anything that, for example, if, if you're doing engaging television, then there's nothing wrong in and of itself. Indeed. Right? With yeah. television. But, but for example, if you say, well, yeah, I could, I could do my prayers later. I'm going to watch the game instead. I want to mm. watch this program. I'll do my prayer. Ooh, wait, hold on. Now. <laughs> you know, so we get, so we start to shift our priorities, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, we can idolize, even at a different level. Not like you know we're totally turning away from God, but sometimes we get a, sometimes a little spiritually lazy, you know, mm. uh, or sometimes we're struggling, you know. Mm. And so and so we seek the release of a television program or sports or alcohol or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, because we don't want to deal with something difficult that's going on in our life. And that has a, a, a tendency um, to become an idol, again, yeah. if we allow it. Because, again, it's, it's our freedom. It's our freedom to choose that which is not of God, yeah. uh, which, which, which could become idols. But that's why we have to stay strong in the Lord. Um, and, and that's why we have such a strong ex exhortation from Paul, because he's warning us that, yes, 
we can be tempted by the things of the world, but we, we need to remain firm in our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And spiritual laziness is something we can take to the confessional as well, isn't it, Deacon? Oh, absolutely. So, well, you know, one of the um, deadly sins is sloth, right? Because mm. uh, sometimes, again, we, we, we get lazy, um, but uh, and, and it happens to, it happens to all of us, right? I mean, sometimes we, oh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to lose weight or we're doing a, a health program and sometimes we fall off the <laughs> fall off the way you go out with some friends and all of a sudden you're back into your old habits again. And um, but just like Jesus fell three times, right? And, and he, he got up and he kept going and he kept mm -hmm. moving forward. And, and that's uh, what we have to do. We have to remember that that sin and despair is not the end. You know, because mm -hmm. remember, the, 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 end, the end for Jesus was not the cross. The end was resurrection. <laughs> mm -hmm. right? But you have to go through that crucifixion sometimes to get to that resurrection. In fact, remember, um, Paul says that Jesus, uh, uh, what, Jesus uh, was perfected through what he suffered. Mm -hmm. That Jesus was perfected through what he suffered. And so sometimes God allows us to suffer to remind us of what's really important. That even mm -hmm. though we're straying away away from him he's always with us he's like the father and the prodigal son he, he's, he's looking for his son the entire time even the son doesn't want to have anything to do with him he's there looking and waiting for the son to return and that's what our heavenly father is doing for us as well fantastic so now we're going to move into the family of God, and we're going to start with, you know, this, this, this marriage, wives and husbands, and, and being subjective to each other. And you've already drawn uh, the, the difference between a contract and a covenant. Um, five months after I married my wife, Jenna, um, she went into hospital to have open heart surgery. And I I did speak to her father about giving away faulty goods at the altar, but he, like yourself, uh, told me that when it comes to marriage, there's no refunds. That's it. That's so true. I like and, that. I like and that. Far, too, far too many times um, we can think of marriage more like a contract. And if suddenly our spouse is not living up to it, obviously what I'm saying was a joke, but there, we can fall into this trap of thinking that because my spouse doesn't live up to my expectations, I have the right to end what God has ordained and find another one, don't we? And it's all too prevalent in our culture. No, you're ab absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, and we even have things like prenuptial agreements, right? Yeah. So, so what do you say? What do you say? You're saying, well, we'll sign this thing. If things don't work out, we can always just call it quits. Whoa, hold mm. on, man. <laughs> so how could how could you possibly give yourself to someone totally again? Remember, free, faithful, total, and fruitful, not conditional. Right? Yeah. So if yeah. you put conditions on things, then the, again, you're treated like a contract. Oh, mm. my cell phone doesn't work, return it. Well, my wife didn't work, return it. I'm kidding. I can't, or my husband doesn't, you can't do that. You know, yeah. and that's why I think marriage preparation, we have to spend a lot more time preparing couples for marriage. I mean, I think about it like this. I think about this often, actually. Um, the, the, the sacraments are grouped together. So you have the sacraments of initiation, which mm -hmm. are baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. You have sacraments of healing, reconciliation, anointing of the sick. And you have the sacraments at the service of communion, holy mm -hmm. orders, and marriage. So those are sacraments that serve the, at the service of communion. So think about it. When a priest is studying, he probably studies somewhere between, depending how much uh, philosophy or theology he's had in his past, anywhere from five to seven years in order to be ordained a priest. How much time do we spend in marriage prep? A mm. weekend? Maybe a couple of months? Mm. Yeah, for a lifetime? Mm. No, but we, we, we have to do a much better job preparing. And if that means that they break up, then that's a good thing. It's better you find out now yeah. than when you get into it and then find out it's not going to work. So we, that's what I've been really just thinking about. And then we really need to do a better job preparing people to receive a sacrament that's going to last them an entire lifetime. You know, and God will give you the grace in that sacrament. Uh, mm. But sometimes we don't want to cooperate with the grace because, you know, uh we're, we're we're in a bad place within ourselves 
mm. you know, or we're struggling with something, you know, because um, we, we, we always want to show the best side of ourselves uh, to the person that we're courting, right? So you don't want to see that, you know, you, you're at, you're, you have issues with alcohol or issues with pornography or issues mm. with whatever, you know, you want to, you want to keep that part separate from them so mm. that, you know, that they'll always have this positive image of you. That's not real. You know, um, I think before you get married, you have to, you know, open all the doors in the closet, <laughs> you know, and, 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 uh, and, and not be afraid to share your struggles and your challenges with the person because they need to know what they're getting. Mm -hmm. Imagine someone trying to sell me a car and well, it doesn't have a carburetor in it. Well, why didn't you tell me that before? I, I wouldn't have bought the car. You see, it's, it's, or you could say, well, that's okay. I could put my own carburetor in it or, you know, it's okay. You know. You, you, you know, so, so obviously marriage is not like that, but it's, but it's, mm -hmm. but it's, it's deeper, right? Yeah. I mean, because when you make a commitment to someone, you make a commitment to that whole person. And so I think the whole person has an obligation to share their, their complete selves with the person they're going to unite themselves to for the rest of their life, right? Because mm -hmm. remember, the whole goal is to get each other to heaven. Yeah, and, oh, man. So, Totally, yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, if we, if we, if we were going to talk about faulty goods at the altar in truth, I would have to say that it was my wife that got the raw deal. <laughs> <laughs> so for the next line of, of, of St. Paul's Ephesians, uh, this being subject to one another, I'd like to pull in a, a quote here that, uh, that I'm, I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Uh, this is from the rule of St. Benedict, and it's from chapter five, on obedience. So have a listen to this. The first degree of humility is obedience without delay. This becometh those who on account of the holy subjection, which they have promised, or of the fear of hell, or the glory of life everlasting, hold nothing dearer than Christ. That's what we're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And so in, in verse 21, you know, so this, this particular section, so the, from verses 21 to 32 is called the pericope, right? Mm -hmm. It's a particular section of scripture that addresses a specific issue. So in, in chapter five, there's two pericope, right? So the two different parts, verses uh, one to 20 and then uh, 21 to 32. So he starts off this pericope saying, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is a direct referral to covenant relationship, mutual subjection one to the other, the complete gift of self one to the other. Um, in Genesis 1.27, we see that covenant relationship established um, where it says um, uh, they, they were created uh, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them, right? So God shows that mutual subjection in creating them at the same time. Right, uh, they're created together. Uh, in Genesis two twenty four says, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Right, not one person. <laughs> right, they they become one flesh. So when when you're in this mutual um, exchange of love and subjectivity, you don't lose anything of the individual person that God created you to be. Now you don't lose yourself in that relationship you find yourself because your spouse helps you to become more of the person who God created you to be. That's the nature of covenant relationship. You become more of the person who God created you to be. Your spouse helps you to do that. In fact, I'm not sure if this term is in Australia, but in the States, we have this term, she brings out the best in me. Right? Yeah. 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 So, so, so that your spouse brings out the very best of who you are. And, and that's what Paul is referring to here, this mutual subject. So he's talking about, it, he's talking about this, there, this equality, right? This equality of, of spirit between a husband and a wife. And then he emphasizes that in verse 31, right? Which is a direct quote from Genesis 2.24. He quotes it directly. Therefore, man leaves father, mother, peace to his wife. So those are the bookends, right? Those are the bookends that surround everything that Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 30, right? So that what he, what he says in, in verses 22 to 30 are framed by what he says in verse 21 and verse 31, which are the covenant relationships, that bracket 
what he's saying. So you have to understand what he's saying within the context of the mutual subjection and of the quote from 224, um, man leads father, mother, please his wife to become one. So I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna return to that because there's a word in there um, in, in, in Genesis 2.24, I think we need to, um, we need to, to draw out because I mm -hmm. think it speaks beautifully to what St. Paul is saying here. Now right. we get to the verse that everybody loves, right? Why Especially be husband, subject, right? <laughs> <laughs> wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church's body and is himself its savior. As a church is subject to Christ, let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Ooh, ouch, right? That, that grates hard on 21st century ears. I mean, and, and, and Paul, in a sense, if you think about it, he seems to contradict himself because he says in verse 21, mutual subjection, one to the other. And then he says, wives be subject to your husband. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> What's St. Paul doing here? Hold on, hold on. The word that he uses for subject to, or some translations say submissive to, is hupatasso. And hupatasso is a Greek military term for troops arranged in divisions that uh, place themselves under the mission and direction of a leader who is typically a general. Okay, so what is St. Paul saying here? That wives place yourself under your husband's mission. What is his mission? Look at verse 25. I know we're skipping ahead, but that's the mission. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ show his love for the church? Gave up his rights. He died. Lived as a servant and ultimately died. Yeah, yeah he died for her. He gave his life for her. So what St. Paul is saying when he says, wives, be subject to your husbands, please, they're saying, wives, place yourself under your husband's mission, because his mission, his purpose is to die to himself every day of his life to live for you and your children. That's what St. Paul is saying. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, how we know this true, I'm not just making it up. As, as someone did, someone once wrote me a letter. They were saying, Deacon Harold, you're ruining my marriage. <laughs> you know, um, when I got married, I showed my wife this verse from Ephesians. I said, see, the Bible says you're supposed to be subject to me. You're supposed to be submissive to me. So if I told her, get me a beer, she'd get me a beer. If I told her, jump in the bed, she'd jump in the bed. He goes, but now she's watching you on that channel with the nun right on EWTN. Now I'm talking about covenant and mutual subjection, all this kind of stuff. And he goes, what are you doing? Right? And so after I explained to him what I just explained to everyone in the Bible study, I said, turn your Bible to Genesis 3, verse 16. Genesis 3, 16. Now Genesis 3, 15 is the proto-evangelium of the first gospel, <coughs> as it's called. As I will put enmity, ebow in Hebrew, enmity, which means Hate, well, literally means hatred, but in English, we translate it as, as opposition. <clears throat> I will put opposition between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, right? But then the verse after that is Genesis 3, 16. He says <clears throat> to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Remember, we're talking about these are the temporal punishments for sin. So the eternal punishment of sin was loss of heaven, being kicked out of the garden. But there are also earthly or temporal effects of sin. So for the woman, it was painful childbirth. And <clears throat> says, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Right. The word for rule over is mouthshaw in Hebrew, which means to dominate like a tyrant. Hmm? Wow. See, so so. Um, so a man, any man that abuses his wife in any way, physically, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, however, you know, that is not, uh, how a man is supposed to treat his wife. That is a sad and tragic effect of original sin, as we just saw in the scriptures. St. Paul is returning us to an authentic expression of 
<clears throat> the marriage covenant and the role of a husband and father in a family. Right. So, so you can't say, well, he, what he means is like, you know, a, a husband has to, a wife has to submit whatever husband says she has to do. No, mm -hmm. that's, that's not what he's saying here. And, and, and what's the model? It, it says he's the head and the word there in Greek for head. Yes. It means the leader. It means the head, but it doesn't mean the boss. See the, the problem with the, the English when we say he's the head or he's the, you know, we think head means boss. So mm. you think of, well, he's the head of the company. You know, and some people don't like their boss. <laughs> some people don't like the people they work with or their supervisor, their boss. So they have a negative image. And so sometimes that creeps into the scriptures here. When he the husband is the head, he's the boss of the family. No, he's not the boss. If, if, any man who thinks he's the boss of his family is an idiot. <laughs> he's the chief servant that's the model because who gives us the model of servanthood jesus christ i have not come to be served but to serve the 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 greatest among you is the least is the servant of all it is christ himself who gives us the model that headship and leadership and authority is rooted in service that's the truth of, of our faith and that's what saint paul is teaching here so um and here and he goes on husbands love your wives as christ of the church that he might sanctify her ah to sanctify something means to do what to make it holy mm -hmm. so not only are husbands supposed to die for their wives not only are they supposed to be the chief servants of their wives and children because it is it's, it's in that servanthood where headship and leadership and authority is exercised, he must also thirdly make her holy. Mm. Now, this is very interesting because uh, St. Paul is juxtaposing this to Christ and the church, right? So this idea of washing in order to purify and making holy, when you may wash with water in the word, that's an allusion to actually Ezekiel chapter 16, verses nine and 10. Where, where God's where it says, I, Yahweh, bathe you with water. Now he's talking about, he's using this beautiful imagery of uh, uh, a man um, entering into a, a, a relationship with, with a woman here. She goes, then I, Yahweh, bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with leather I swashed you in fine linen and covered you with silk. You see? So he's, he's making her beautiful. He's making her beautiful. And so how, so, so the, the, again, it's showing God entering a covenant relationship with his people. And, and Jesus does this, of course. He weds himself to the church. And he clothes his bride with the fine linen of righteousness. With the fine linen of humility and holiness. That's what he clothes his church with. So the question then is how are we as men, as husbands, sanctifying our wives? How do we, St. Paul's language now, nourish and cherish. How do we do that? How do we do that as husbands, as fathers? That's the question we need to ask. Now, I think because this is the year of St. Joseph, I think we, uh, husbands and fathers, need to appreciate the, the role of St. Joseph here that the power and the authority that Joseph exercised, remember, he was the head of that family. Even though, of course, Mary is like born without uh, original sin and Jesus, of course, is God, you know, it was Joseph. Both Mary and Joseph subjected themselves to the leadership of Joseph in that family, okay? And the power and the authority that he exercised was always in service to God the Father and to his family. That's really important for us men to understand today, because this is not just for marriage and family. This is also the priesthood. Remember, the priest stands in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. So he's supposed to be serving his church, his parish, the same way that a husband serves his wife and children in the family. So we, we too, as men, can experience this same power of life-giving love as Joseph's exercise in our lives through the grace of the Holy Spirit. We have to be to open ourselves to the Lord and ask for it, right? So we have to we have to see ourselves with Christ crucified. We have to see ourselves on the cross because on the cross, 
Jesus is giving himself away. He's pouring out his love for his bride, the church. And we have to do the same thing. For If you're a priest, you do it for the church. If you're a husband and father, you do it for your family. Every decision, therefore, that, that a father makes cannot be his own. He must place always the best interest of his family above everything else. And in doing that, we make ourselves vulnerable before God and allow the Holy Spirit to form and to shape us into the men that Christ creates and calls each one of us to be. And, and so in the spirit of St. Joseph, which uh, I think Joseph lived out perfectly what St. Paul is saying here, we have to tear down the walls of lechery and deceit and debauchery and licentiousness and all the things that St. Paul talked about in the first part of Ephesians 5 and um, make room in our hearts for the richness and beauty of truth given to us by Christ in our Catholic faith. It's a truth that frees us to love. It's a truth that frees us to love. So that I think that's a proper understanding of what St. Paul is saying here in the second part of Ephesians chapter five. Then we get to the last couple of verses, verse 31. Again, it quotes directly from Genesis two. Therefore, a man leaves a father and mother and cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh. A couple of things going on here. First of all, I think this is an allusion to Jesus and his teaching on divorce, right? Um, in Matthew 19, verses three to nine, Jesus talks about marriage and divorce. We talked about that verse a little bit earlier with the porneia exception, mm -hmm. except, for, um, except for unchastity, um, that you know, if you divorce, if you get married and divorce someone, then if you marry another person, that's adultery. Very clear teaching of Jesus. That because the two become one, you're no longer two, but one. Now, the, I want to just bring out a word in this verse. He goes, um, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, or some translations say cleave to his wife. Um, and that, I think that's an important uh, thing to bring up here, because the word for joined or cleave is daubak in Hebrew, daubak, which literally means to pursue as to overtake. So, for example, daubak is used in the book of Exodus. Remember when they... Um, they escape from Egypt and they're standing at the, uh, the Red Sea and they look back and they see Pharaoh's forces, the army starting to come toward them. And that's mm -hmm. and then right after that, Moses opens the Red Sea and they walk through. But the word, you know, when they look back, they saw them being pursued by the Egyptian army. That's the same word that's used here, Daobach. It means to pursue or in the case of Exodus, to pursue as to overtake. So what's, so what's going on here in Genesis? When he says that, um, that he uh, leaves his father and mother and is, is joy, he pursues his wife. Oh, interesting. What does that mean? That means she is something to cherish. She is something to attain. Why? Because she's created last, right? She, the very pinnacle and high point of God's creative activity is the woman. Remember in Genesis 1, male and female he created them so she's not created second she's created last because all the creation came first then man and woman the woman last in genesis 2 the man was there then all the animals came and then the woman from his side right she came last so the woman is the high point the pinnacle of god's creative activity god's greatest gift is woman and so Man, understanding that she needs to be something to be pursued, right? She needs, it's, it's that holiness, right? It's that sanctity that she embodies that he needs to pursue and then use his gift to serve, protect, and defend that sanctity, right? Def That's beautiful teaching. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and this is why sometimes in these Bible studies, it's good to look, it's like, well, why is he using so much Greek and Hebrew? I mean, if you, if you understand what the words actually mean, it brings a whole nother level of depth and meaning to, to the word of God. Because English doesn't always capture what the Hebrew uh, scriptures or even the Greek scriptures are saying to us. No, but that's a beautiful piece here that, he's, that she is, he, she's almost pursued by him. He leaves his family and he, and he goes after her. To, why? To, to, to bring her... Uh, uh, so maybe some of her holiness can come off, rub off on him, but more than that, to serve, protect, and defend that holiness, that sanctity, that greatest gift 
that God has given to him. Remember, God, remember Genesis, he brings her to him. This is my gift to you, right? That's awesome. That's awesome. And we forget that. So when we, so when we look at pornography, when we use contraception, when we um, treat our wives with disrespect, when we take that, our wives for granted, right? All these things are getting us further and further away from the beauty and truth of what St. Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5. I mean, this is the absolute blueprint for being a, a husband and father according to the mind and the heart of the Lord, right? This is definitely orthopraxy for fatherhood at, at its highest level in the scriptures. Um, and then just finally, he says uh, that all of this is a great mystery, mysterion in Greek, which St. Jerome translated in the Vulgate in the Latin as sacramentum. Mm. So this is a great sacrament. What's that we talking about? Marriage, right? Oh, the relationship between Christ and his church is a sacramental relationship because Christ gave us seven sacraments mm. and marriage is one of them, right? So, so the, the, the sacrament of marriage is an allusion to the sacramental gift that Christ is to his entire church. And the catechism talks about that beautifully. I think in paragraph 775, it says that this communion with God is a unity with all humanity, right? And the purpose, uh, the church's first purpose is to be in this sacramental relationship with God, to be in communion with God and to be communion with, with one another, right? Uh, so the, the church is a sign of unity with God and a sign of unity of the, of the human race as well, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that's what I would say about Ephesians 5. And, and that's quite a lot to say about Ephesians 5. And we're talking some deep stuff here. And I suspect many of us are going um, to want to listen to this episode and take a lot of this con these concepts and uh, what we've heard today uh, into some deep contemplative prayer. And uh, I highly recommend that to uh, everyone who hears the podcast. Well, uh, Deacon Harold Berg-Sivers, uh, I'm sure that our live audience is going to have some questions for you. So I hope you can hang around for a few more minutes. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to thank you on behalf of all of the uh, participants in Parousia Study Groups. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. And please give a special thanks to your wife and children to, uh, for sharing you with us. Oh, thank you. I think the best way I could repay them back is to bring them to Australia with me one of these times when I come back there. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Yes. I think we should make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dick and Harrowberg Sivers, thank you so very much. God bless. Yeah, you're most welcome. Most welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to Perusia World Spotlight on the Perusia Podcast Network in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific. To catch up on all Perusia podcast episodes, please visit perusiamedia.com forward slash podcast or subscribe to our podcasts in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your family and friends. And for more information about everything Perusia, please visit our website at perusiamedia.com. God bless.